Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us online on television or right here in the sanctuary, so glad you decided to spend a part of your October day with us. We are going to celebrate communion in just a little bit, so if you're joining us online, be sure to have some bread and grape juice handy. We're wrapping up our series today where we've been asking questions, uh, some deep questions that we all ponder from time to time. These are questions around meaning and significance and around purpose and legacy. Does my life matter? Jesus says to you and me, and I say to you, yes. Yes, your life matters greatly. So how do we live a life that matters? We live a life that matters by living out our purpose, no matter how old we are, where we're living, what stage of life. We love God, we love people, and we love ourselves. And then at various times in our lives, we go through periods of discernment. God, what do you want me to do in this situation, in this time and place? And we learn to hear God's voice. We learn to hear God's voice through getting away, through prayer, and through echoes. You know, once we hear God's voice telling us, you need to go do this, Then we make a choice to be all in. We set all of our worries aside. We invest all of ourselves, all of our resources, who we are, and we go full speed ahead for what God has for us to do. And we live life. We deal with the unexpected, and we know we are mortal beings. And that mortal knowledge gives us focus. We grieve loss in the here and now, and we look forward to being with Christ in the next life. Now, up to this point, all of our questions have been directed us to God, us to Jesus in prayer. We've asked, God, does my life matter? Jesus, how can I hear your voice better? Holy Spirit, how do I know when it's time to go all in? God, what happens to me when I die? Today, we flip the script Today, Jesus is asking you and me a question, a powerful question that shapes how we live, and it can change much about how we choose to live a life that matters. Prayer, talking with God, is a two-way street. Jesus has been listening to us these last couple of weeks. We've been asking all these questions, and now today, Christ is asking you and me, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is asking us this question, how are you going to respond? What is one thing you would want God to do for you? A healing in your own life? A healing in somebody else's life? Helping you to forgive someone who has wronged you? A change in your job? Some kind of change at school? Maybe it's just assurance that Jesus is real and all of this isn't just some kind of nonsense. Friends, Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you today? And he's waiting for your response. We're going to go one more time into 2 Kings chapter 2 today, ending our journey with Elijah and Elisha. We're going to take one more pass through this scripture that you might recognize because we looked at a different piece a few weeks ago. You can follow along with me in your own Bible, on your favorite device, or on the screen with me. Today we're focusing on the final question, the final conversation between Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is the seasoned prophet, he's the seasoned truth teller, and Elisha will be taking over his responsibilities. We know speaking the truth from God in ancient Israel was not an easy task, to put it mildly. Our passage today is the last words. The last words on earth spoken between Elijah and Elisha. 
I found myself in situations before to be with people speaking some of their final words on earth before they go to be with Jesus. It is a holy moment. It is a sacred moment, a time when the distance, the veil between heaven and earth is really thin. The last words I've heard have been of thankfulness, of love, and of gratitude for a life lived. Even Jesus' last words on the cross, while being unjustly executed, were surprisingly grace-filled and hopeful. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Into your hand, Lord, I commend my spirit. Let's pick up Elijah's final words. It's 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched at a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Now this little miracle in the Jordan River does a few things. It reminds us that God walks with Elijah, just in the same way as the Lord walked with the Israelites through the Red Sea. As they escape slavery in Egypt, God parts the Red Sea, Israel walks through on dry ground. God is with Elijah. And then we get this request from Elijah to Elisha, giving Elijah space to say what's one thing he needs from his mentor before he departs. Now in our journey of living a life that matters, of following Jesus down this road of life, we need mentors. We need mentors like Elisha had Elijah. Mentors can be those we know personally who are alive today or those we learn from at a distance, from their writing, from their speaking, from their online presence. Who are the mentors that you look to? Who are the mentors you look to that inspire you to live, to love, and to lead in a way that looks like Jesus? I'm going to give you just three of mine today. First is Kermit Culver. He has legacies. He is our own pastor emeritus. That's just a fancy way of saying he's the retired guy on call, on retainer. He served here for 20 years as the lead pastor. I first met Kermit in 1996 while dealing with my mother's death at 15 years old. In fact, Kermit's first pastoral call was to our family. He has been a, he's been a friend, he's been a mentor and a colleague now for more than 25 years. Uh, One of my favorite quotes from him, worship shouldn't be entertaining, but it ought not be boring. The, what's interesting, I went to the same seminary that Kermit went to, and I heard a professor say this, and I realized where Kermit got all of his good stuff from. Um, you know, we, we do our best to cite people when we take things, and sometimes we forget. Kermit is also a great word, fan of the word behooves. It behooves us to drive to Napoleon for the best sausage on breakfast Sundays. It's both a great word, and that's exactly what we do on breakfast Sundays as well, going great lengths to get great meat for food. Now, the qualities I admire about Kermit, willing to take my crazy call or text whenever, and he gives me much to think about in the way I lead, I preach, and pushes me forward into following Jesus every day. Second is Rich Viados. He's living author and pastor of a multicultural church in Queens, New York. I have never met the man. 
He models a passionate, a thinking, a deep faith, a faith that seeks wholeness, not just spiritually, but physically, mentally, emotionally, all of it. Qualities I admire in Rich, he has, pushes a faith that speaks into our lives about the need to slow down, about the need to take Sabbath, to take a break, to try to hear Jesus among the chaos that we all live through. Now, one of my favorite quotes from Rich, he writes, there are some who think that to always preach on the love of God is weak, that people will take advantage of that love. That's a flimsy understanding of God's love, for God's love is the most powerful force in the universe to bring about change. For God's love is the most powerful thing in the universe to bring about change. We're reminded in scripture that the Lord's kindness is what leads us to repentance, it, what leads us to that life change, that turnaround to follow Jesus in all that we do. Last, Jean-Luc Picard, fictional captain of the Federation Starship Enterprise. I did not say your mentors all had to be real people. You can't have fictional mentors. Now, Picard has a leadership style I appreciate. He's not dictatorial, he's collegial. He learns from his team, he lets them lead where they are experts, letting everyone have a voice before a final decision is made. He's most definitely the leader, but he does not look like it all of the time. So as we see and we, as we seek living lives that matter, who do you look to? to see as a model for living, loving, and leading more like Jesus. Who is your Elijah? Who is your Elijah? Now in our scripture, Elijah the mentor makes space. He makes room for Elijah's to have a request. The text reads, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. Or put in a question form, what do you want me to do for you? Now, in the text, we don't get a lot of pondering. Elijah doesn't take a lot of time. His response is quick. It could be the writer just didn't include his ponderings, but it also could be Elijah knew. Elijah knew exactly what he needed. Elijah knew exactly what he needed from his mentor to do for him. Elijah replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. He needs two things, a double share and the blessing to be the successor. Now, depending upon your translation, a double share could read double portion. Now, what on earth does that mean? Now, double portion was common language of this day. It was the inheritance passed to the firstborn son. In this time and place, the firstborn son had the responsibility to care not just for his own family, but the entire extended family's welfare and future. Not only that, He'd also be responsible for every Israelite's family's responsibility to care for the vulnerable people outside of his extended family. Every Israeli family had to care for the widows and orphans and immigrants. So that's why he needs a double share. He gets double what the other siblings get because he's got to take care of not only his own family, but the whole extended family and all the widows and orphans and immigrants. That responsibility, friends, continued from ancient Israel to the church today to the concern of Christians for the last 2,000 years. How can we best care for the widows and orphans and immigrants among us? Now, in effect, Elijah wants, he needs the resources to be Elijah's successor. Elijah's already anointed him, but it's really up to God for the official blessing. Now, when you read later in this story, 
All of this happens. Elijah goes to heaven in this chariots of fire, blaze of glory. Elisha does the same miracle Elijah does, puts his cloak down, the river parts, and the gathering of prophets near him accept Elisha as Elijah's successor. His request, his answer to this question, what do you want me to do for you? It is answered, it's happened, it is complete. Now I'm struck with the directness and the boldness of Elijah's request. He doesn't hedge at all. He doesn't say he wants the same portion as Elijah's spirit. He doesn't want just a little that he had. No, he wants a double portion of Elijah's spirit. That is bold and that is direct. We need to be, learn to be as direct and bold with God just as Elijah is direct and bold with Elijah. So often, our prayers, our talking with God can be milk toast, the conversation timid. We hold back. We don't really ask what we want or what we say, what's truly on our hearts, what we're feeling and experiencing. We've got this picture of God on the throne, huge and up high, and we're way down here, down below, asking for scraps and crumbs from God's feet, if God had feet. We, like Tiny Tim, ask, please, sir, may I have some more? Does God really see us like that? What does Jesus say about our relationship to him, who is God, in the flesh? Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. We are God's friends. We are God's friends. We might have this throne room idea when we go to God in prayer, but God doesn't. God does not, our conversation with God looks much more like Elijah and Elijah walking and talking together than someone who's on a throne far and above and disconnected from us. Just like Elijah, we need to be bold and direct in our prayers, our request to God. Give up the milk toast prayers. Give up the timid prayers. Pray boldly, pray expectantly, pray knowing God considers us friends. Be specific. Be clear in your request to God. Pray for healing for yourself and for others. Don't hedge your bets with statements like, if it's God's will to heal, if you want to, God. Our God is the God of life, the one who came in Jesus to show us how to live, then died and rose again, destroying death for all time. Life is God's will. It's been said about prayer, why are you settling for crumbs instead of the whole loaf of bread? Pray for the whole loaf. Pray for people to change. Pray for things that seem impossible to be done. Pray in Christ what is truly on your heart and mind. Pray with boldness, with clarity, and specificity, specificity as we're friends. We are friends of God. You know, I think one of the reasons we don't one of the reasons we don't pray with boldness is we feel like we've been burned in the past. We've prayed for someone to change, and they didn't. We prayed for someone to be healed, and they weren't. We prayed for a situation to shift, to be redeemed, to be changed. And it's been the same way for decades after decades after decades. We feel burned by what we see as God's lack of answering our request. When we pray, friends, we must also listen for God's response. Too many times in prayer, I find myself bringing my list to God, like I bring my Christmas list to Santa every Christmas, and never listen for God's response back. 
It's like the elementary school kid who comes up to ask his teacher a question. The child asks the question and never waits for the response. He asks and he's six requests down the line before the teacher can even get to answering his first request. The teacher's gotta tell the child to stop. Wait, did you actually want a response to that question six back? Okay, now let's back up and I'll give it to you. We are impatient in prayer, just like that child with the teacher. We want to move on to the next thing. We want all of our requests answered the way we want without any thought to what God might want to say to us in response. Just because we pray with boldness, with clarity and specificity, does not mean God's gonna answer the way that we want. As if God is some kind of genie just waiting for us to ask. God is not a genie. God is not a cosmic vending machine. Prayer does not work like that. God does not work like that. God does not violate the free will in others. As we pray for people to change, sometimes they don't because of the decisions they themselves make. We live in a world that doesn't function like it should with natural disasters and accidents and diseases and violence and war. A new heaven and new earth are coming, eliminating all of that, but we don't live there yet. Miracles are, by definition, rare. Miracles are rare events. God works most of the time through the rules, physical, and scientific laws God has set up. God primarily wants to work through you and me, through our hands, our feet, our time, our talent, our dollars, our resources. It doesn't mean we don't still pray boldly for the miracle, even though they are rare. In spite of not getting our way in prayer, be bold, be clear, be specific, and then let God's response change you. Let God's response change you, shape you, and even shape that request. Just because you pray for a snowmobile to ride this season doesn't mean God's going to give you one. Again, God's not a genie. Maybe God's going to shape that request differently and change your prayer to be praying for a snowmobile to help those in need to get staffed to the hospital when inevitably we get hit by a blizzard that shuts down the city because we live in North Dakota. Our prayer requests change and are reshaped as we spend time with God in prayer. Now, a final warning, you need to be careful in answering this question, what do you want me to do for you? Because Jesus is faithful to respond. When you pray for patience, God does not zap you with more patience, but puts more people in your life than you need to practice patience with. That's how it works. When we pray for the ability to love more, God gives us opportunities to practice love more. When we pray for more kindness, God puts more people in our play, in our way that we can practice our kindness towards. Prayer changes us and our desires as well as our prayers themselves. Our prayers change over time as we spend more time with God. Jesus is asking you today, what do you want me to do for you? He's not asking rhetorically. He's not asking flippantly. God is waiting for you to respond and wants to talk with you about it. Our prayers never get unanswered. We enter a dialogue with God about our requests and our needs. God might answer and would listen for a yes, I am going to do that. Or God might respond, that's interesting. Let's talk about this. What about this? What about that? Or God might respond, no. No, but I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, 
through the pain and the suffering and the sorrow that you feel in this moment, in these days, in these weeks, in these years to come. The love of God doesn't change even if something or someone does not go the way that we want. Some 700 years after Elijah and Elijah had their final conversation near the city of Jericho, another group finds themselves in the same area. Jesus, his disciples, and a crowd approach Jericho, the same city. That day, a blind beggar beggar was beside the road and started calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He started making quite a ruckus. He disturbed the people that were trying to get near to Jesus. They wanted him to just be quiet, but that only made him louder. He shouted boldly with persistence and with clarity. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The same sentiment, the same place, some 700 years later, Jesus, God in the flesh, asked him, what do you want me to do for you? God's asking the same question, friends. Can you feel it in your spirit? God is here with us, ready to commune with each one of us, to meet us in our deepest needs, our wants, and our desires. How does the blind beggar respond? Lord, I want to see. I want to see. A bold request, a clear request, a direct request. Jesus heals him. The man can see, and he followed Jesus from that day forward, praising God, and so did everybody else who saw it. They praised God, too. Each and every day, we approach Jesus as our friend because he is. He wants to walk with us through everything that we endure. May we answer Christ's question, what do you want me to do for you today with whatever is truly and authentically on our hearts and minds? Be bold, be clear, be specific, and be open to God shaping and transforming and changing your request as you spend time with him and live a little more like Jesus today than yesterday. Let's pray together. Loving God, so often we conceive of you as a king, high on a throne when Jesus shows us you are our friend. So may your Holy Spirit help us to come to you with boldness, with clarity, and with directness. May we also be open to you changing our request, because you have our best interests at heart. You always have and you always will. May we never forget that. And may Holy Communion give us today a tangible reminder of that fact. As we prepare ourselves to receive, we come before you now and we confess. There were times in this last week that we did not love you and we didn't love our neighbors with all that we are. So as they come to our mind's eye, we confess those times that we fell short. We confess to you our mistakes, our sins from not loving you or our neighbor with our whole hearts in this moment of silence. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us each and every time we ask. May your spirit help us to answer boldly and clearly the question you're asking each of us. What do you want me to do for you today? We pray together in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying together, 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.